Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals and the people who care about them and also have the power to improve their lives by influencing laws, regulations, and culture uh, accordingly. Uh, on the show today, uh, we have two people with us, Julie Marshall. She is our National Communications Director, 30 years of experience in journalism, and also wrote the book, Making Burrows Fly, Cleveland, Amory, and uh, the Animal Rescue Pioneer. So Julie, always glad to have you with us. Ursula Goodenough is our special guest. She is Professor of Biology Emerita at Washington University in St. Louis, where she engaged in research on eukaryotic. Did I pronounce that right, Ursula? Almost eukaryotic. Eukaryotic algae. Thank you. She authored the textbook Genetics uh, and presented the paradigm of the religious naturalist orientation and the epic of evolution in numerous venues around the world. She currently serves as president of the Religious Naturalist Association. We're talking to her because another one of her books, The Sacred Depths of Nature, How Life Has Emerged and Evolved, first published in 1998, is out with a, a new edition. So Ursula, Julie, glad to have you both on the show. Great to Thanks. be here. Yeah, yeah. And, and Julie, I've got to tell you, I'm glad Wayne's not on the show. I'm glad <laughs> Wayne is not on this show because, because I have a feeling this show could go off the rails pretty easily because we'll be talking about some really interesting things and they may not be so myopically focused on animals the way Wayne likes to do it. Uh, Ursula writes about things that are just tremendously fascinating to me. I employ them in other areas of my life as well. So uh, don't tell Wayne we've done this show, Julie. <laughs> Mum's the word. Mum's the word. Maybe he'll learn it, from it. Maybe he'll yes. learn that there are critters besides animals that are important. Well, right. Like the, like the food they eat. <laughs> well, like, no. And, and it, yeah, no. And I do have a tendency to run far afield. And, and Wayne is very disciplined, as he should be, right? Because this is the Animal Wellness Podcast. It's not what's Joe thinking about today. That's not the name of the show. So, um, and, I, and I tell you, what one reason this topic appeals to me, and I, I've shorthanded it this way before, by describing a conversation I have with, I'm going to call him, without any hint of pejorative, a fundamentalist Christian, right? We were talking about animals. Julie, I think this came up in, in the show you and I did uh, before. Yeah. But I quoted this man as saying, you know, well, well, you know, God gave us animals to do what we what we want with. And that to me telescoped so well what I perceive to be the abuse of this go forth and, and exercise dominion over the world, right? This almost hostile perspective Western religion has against nature. So when I saw what you were about, Ursula, I really wanted to have you on on the show. So uh, let me let me let me start us off uh, this way. You describe yourself or you describe this perspective, uh, yours as religious naturalism. If that's accurate, tell us what that means. Well, I try to avoid the ism. I try to say religious naturalist orientation, but that's okay. a clumsier. So uh, but it isn't an ism. It's it's a it's an orientation more like we think of the word <clears throat> in uh, public usage um, as um, taking everybody's story, our understandings of how life emerged and evolved uh, and developing religious responses to them. And by religious, I 
talk of three different kinds. I talk about interpretive responses. What does this story tell me about the meaning of life, about death, about why there's anything at all rather than nothing? A sort of philosophical <laughs> uh, tangent. The spiritual, which is how did these, how does the story make me feel? Awareness, reverence, gratitude, those kinds of things. And then the moral, how does this story help me um, be a better person, both to other humans and to the planetary matrix and all its critters? So yeah. naturalist takes the story, has religious responses to them, and is so oriented, and if so oriented, um, is uh, a member of our little association. Yeah, that's like, that's a re, the re, like the definition of the religious quest, right? Those three prongs. Kind of. That's how I see it. I see that that goes on in all the traditions. The traditions have a story, the Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, the writings of the Buddha, etc. And uh, then in the same way, those three questions are asked of the story. And, and this probably is where we'll get more divergent than than other parts, because I do want to ask, uh, relative to animal wellness action, why then should should people give a damn about animals, right? I mean, you, you know, you would think everyone would care about animals, and most people love animals. But when most people say they love animals, they they love dogs, they love cats, they may love horses. Uh, they don't necessarily think of their love for pigs when they're when they're, you know, ordering bacon, unaware of how that meat maybe came to their plate, whether it was done so humanely. Uh, but but let's let's before we get to that though, because in my own personal quest, um, I find that the more naturalist I become, the less religious I feel I can be. Is though understanding yeah. <laughs> a lot of the machinery, you know, is understanding a lot of the machinery as you outlined so well in your book, right? I mean, you really, this is but a fascinating book little also, book. Didn't my book also lift up ways that they could uh, enhance and bless your spiritual life? Well, and, and I mean, that's that, what I want you that's to. That's what I'm trying to, that's the point of the book. So if I failed, let me know. Well, I, I'm, I, a I'm a tough nut. Ursula, right? You know, you know. <laughs> but 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 I want to ask that question for the benefit of listeners so they can okay. get an understanding of, of how you do approach that because it seems to be the case that the more science enters, the more religion leaves. You don't find it to be that way. Exactly. In fact, preferably not that way. How do you connect the two? That's my question for you. Well, I mean, if you're if you define religion as you know the, the Western monotheisms or you know a lot of other ones, then yeah, the, some of the stuff that's in everybody's story isn't in the Bible, and uh, some of it um, <clears throat> goes against what you've uh, been taught in Sunday school. But that doesn't mean that there isn't there aren't other perspectives mm -hmm. that are can be called religious. Oh, can I bring in a, 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 a story? Since I love I love how you we've narrative and story in, in, in your book um, and the importance of that in human culture. I was thinking a lot, you made me think a lot about wolves and here in Colorado, we, we just we're, re, we're about to reintroduce them. And we have this fiery debate about, we have the management side and the sport hunting side that say we must sport hunt them because we have to, from a science-based perspective, manage their populations in order to have more elk for people to hunt. And so also um, 
uh, for livestock. But then there's the animal wellness advocates like ourselves. And we also have larger nationwide campaigns to protect wolves and ants sport hunting that say, leave them alone, they can manage themselves, right? So these are largely the first prong of the three of the three in your, the religious quest. Um, so that's the science-based model. And then if, if we try to engage um, like our, our politicians and wildlife agencies in the second prong of, of the feelings of animals and how it makes us feel when we treat them so cruelly. It's like they can't even speak that language. No, we don't, we don't, we don't go there. We're on another planet. And then if we try to go to the third prong with the eco-morals of, of looking at this from a perspective of the earth and our relationship with the earth and animals, we get into what Joseph was talking about is the prevailing myth and story of dominance and use and take. So I just feel like I feel like your book empowered me to um see that I am religious because I have reverence and awe and <laughs> and your book also empowered me that it's never too late to do anything but where I'm super stuck is how do we change this culture where the people in power and and control tell us they don't speak our language um it I mean it it's the same question in lots of other political arenas right it's not just this issue there's a general um group of us that are really sort of trying to figure it out and get it right and there are people who are very rigid because of, for financial reasons or for religious reasons or um political reasons um and it's not a new conversation that's been going on for millennia maybe in in different ways of of trying to get it better get it more right understand reality better understand um how to ask questions and how to teach one another what we've learned and i you know it's very difficult to not feel impatient and you know why didn't that last conference yield the results that we wanted it to yield everyone was so fixed in their ways uh you just as Martin Luther King says you know the the fierce urgency of now you just got to keep doing it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah Julie referred to eco-morality and that is one of the core themes or one of the core presences in your book it, it's relatively self-explanatory I suppose by by the word itself what do you mean by eco-morality oh um well, the first part of chapter 13 discusses morality, which is usually used to talk about human-human interactions and thou shalt and thou shalt not. And so I discuss that for a while and then and lift up the fact that these tendencies are come with us at birth because we are social animals. We come from a social lineage. Um, there's it's not like we have to learn on, you know uh play tablet that you're not supposed to kill each other we already know that um and that those same kinds of pro-social sensibilities that we have and that are nurtured by philosophers and by teachers and so on are readily expanded to the earth as a whole um the, the treating acknowledging our own critterhood acknowledging the fact that we need to find a place within the planetary matrix that is sustaining and kind and joyous 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and that goes to the planetary ethic. Uh, you talk about some of the first part of your book, correct? So the planetary ethic is just sort of an extension of that. If everybody felt that way, <laughs> then mm-hmm. there would be a planetary ethic, right? Uh, so it's obviously another very large leap forward. The first, uh, the first horizon is to help people get in touch with and celebrate and develop their eco-morality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Part of your, your book that to me as an animal advocate really stands out is where you, you talk about the machinery that gives us consciousness being present in, in, every, in every animal. Uh, well, it, at least, you know, mammals and birds and, and, and reptiles, right? That all it's them. all there. All <laughs> I, 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 I think that snails are conscious. I mean, I use the term conscious uh, to depict any critter with a brain and critters with brains we call animals. So critters with brains include snails and worms. And okay. um, that I, I mean, since consciousness is used in so many hundred different ways, I decided to pick one. And the one I picked is that consciousness is something that brains do that animals do um and so all animals are conscious and Mm -hmm. so therefore while we're conscious of different things a snail is clearly conscious of different things than a worm and a worm is different conscious of different things than a fly uh they're conscious what they need to find in their environment for food and shelter um but um the basic way that it's set up is the same in all animals and evolved mm-hmm. from the same original source. Mm-hmm. No, no, very good. No, I appreciate that because you're right. Consciousness, you know, in, in particularly if you put it on a column against sentience, uh, self-awareness, it does become quite the, the, the potpourri of, of all, perspectives. All of, those, all of those terms are, are to my mind, you know, don't have a single meaning and therefore but they're good words. They mean things. So I think it's really important that we just say, okay, this is what I mean by conscious and um, take it from there. <laughs> Hear what I have to say about it. Yeah. I'm going to butcher Jeremy Bentham's quote, but I believe it was he who said, you know, it's not whether they can speak. It's not whether they can reason. It's whether they can suffer. Um did, did I say that right, Ursula? You're probably familiar with. The yeah, quote. I okay. So, so suffering. Do you want to go to suffering? I can. I can. I have a some thoughts on suffering, but well, uh, well, for me, well, well, I I would like to do that because for me, that is the commonality I use to establish, or to at least, I guess it's the predicate of my establishment of the need to protect animals. It is to prevent suffering. So, so yeah, go go there. Well. Certainly, suffering that is imposed is to be prevented. Okay, so I call that cruelty. Um, that um, an animal, a being of any sort, uh, is made to suffer, uh, made to feel pain if they are pain feeling creatures. Um, but I see suffering as a much more universal thing that all critters go through whether they have brains whether they have consciousness um it's it's a signal that things aren't right and that it's time to fix it and uh 
it's in that sense it's positive it, it tell it gives you information um that things are awry and that it's time to uh pay attention um and get the suffering to go away now that's the usual cycle in an animal's life is that there's not enough sugar they're suffering because they're feeling weak they get the sugar and they stop suffering um so suffering is everywhere uh plants when you pull off their leaves or you know cut their stem uh, there's a form of suffering there they start healing they start making new tissue um so what I think you guys are so good at is identifying suffering that has been imposed on animals basically by humans right uh I mean you're not real concerned about the fact that a hawk catches a fish right because right um that's what hawks do uh and the fish suffers while he's you know hanging you know in the hawk's talons <laughs> getting its head bit off I mean it's not fun um but um that's different from just you know laying waste to large populations of animals or putting them in cages or, or doing the kind of stuff we did yeah going out and actively yeah, doing uh harm no, and I mean I'm I'm I I do I don't eat red meat but I do eat fowl I eat fish um you know that's my choice I'm not defending it or not but um those who eat plants are also killing organisms that are connected to us we all share a common ancestor and so Joseph you yeah. asked the question about suffering in the context of eco-morality right is that yeah. right because um well, I, what I heard Joe say is that that mm -hmm. you know what what drives him is his outrage about suffering and mm -hmm. um and I just countered by saying sure you I'm I'm all about feeling outraged about suffering when it's imposed but when it's imposed. I as a biologist I had to notice that suffering is a you know an adaptive yeah okay <laughs> yeah and then I come back to what, what we were talking about in the beginning about the 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 problem of human culture and how we do impose that and teach that in our kids I was just talking of, to a trapper yesterday who's one of the most um I admire him so much he's an advocate against trapping but he grew up in a culture where he told a story of he and his uh other boys were had trapped animals and they were like laughing at them when one was trying to chew its leg off I don't remember what animal it was but like he's like how in the world did we like looking how did we think that was okay it was just the culture they grew up in and they didn't even think this animal felt anything they're like why they thought it was funny he was trying to chew his leg off like like this you know this it, the, the, there's still people that grow up in that culture and it's just the way that they, they are and then some change and some don't and um I guess I wanted to ask you to repeat that quote from Martin Luther King again because that was so good so I can write it down about don't you know hope. you know you know Julie the essence of a podcast <laughs> is that you is that it's recorded and you could listen to it again you don't have to write this stuff down Julie Never. The fierce, you can find it on the internet i think it's in my book the fierce urgency of now <laughs> yeah I, I i'm so into this i lost where i was okay. <laughs> julie do, right. do you want me to like get a little pen and paper and sketch what we all look like too so you can have that but, but I, if human culture is the problem and like your friend who thinks we have we can dominate or boys that grow up 
this way. It's like the solution, like in your book, when you talk about the people who learn about the bonobo that helped the bird, mm -hmm. like maybe it's stories like these that we need more of, or maybe yeah, I think and, I read, like- And they're all over the place. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's this, there's a, the Discovery Channel, there's Earth Day, there's, you know, there's a big environmental movement out there. I mean, most of the Protestant and Catholic churches and Jewish churches that I know have all have greening committees and and you know going out and uh working in the communities and um rescues and all sorts of stuff going on it's it's not all like the that kid that laughed at the trap anymore yeah i mean my my grandsons would no more laugh at an animal trap than than they would kill themselves no way um so I mean, you, Julie, you said something about the, the problem with human culture. I mean, the problem is we've got so many cultures, <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? Uh, and we have to find, we have to pick good ones. We have to pick sustainable ones. We have to pick ones that respect all critters, that respect our story of how we got here, is, to my mind. We have to, it makes one very humble and um, much less aggressive. Yeah. And and this this is something I get into also probably to Wayne's, you know, chagrin. Um, and, uh, you know, that is that is the component, of course, of, of of culture. You know, the United States has more lawyers per capita than than any other country on Earth. And many people would ascribe that fact to perhaps our avarice, uh, to our uh, risability in terms of uh, facing challenges. But but it goes back, I think, ultimately to the fact that we are a melting pot culture. And when you take various cultures and put them side by side, they don't have that common understanding of how the world works, such that disagreements can be sorted out naturally and without animus. And I think when you talk about, you know, cultures and, and how they play a role in inculcating perhaps a compassionate perspective, toward the earth, toward the animals. I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm optimistic, you know, for the United States, because not only do we retain a potpourri, is that the second time I've used potpourri in this podcast? Julie, remind me that that's the first time. Okay. Cause I have a limit of one. I limit myself to one, but um, you know, we, we, we have this uh, plethora of cultures. We seem to be ever more divisive the overarching culture good good or bad that may have been represented by you know the 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 christian church writ large earlier on is gone we can't even agree on what men and women are anymore without some 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 tension how are we going to get people to look around us and say hey maybe you know maybe i don't need to to shoot that animal or maybe i don't need to go to a cockfight or a dogfight Joe, you don't have to imagine there are millions of people in the United States who are so sensitive. It's, it's, you know, it's not hundreds of millions, but it's millions and it's growing and it's being taught in the schools. My kids, my uh, third grade grandson just had a huge unit on whales and they uh, all sorts of paper mache whales and which ones were endangered and which ones were um, being protected and, and it just went on and on and on. Um, you know, that's, 
it's I, I so mean, good to talk it, to you. <laughs> it's Thank a glass, glass half full situation to my mind, not half empty. I don't think we're going backwards on this. That's why I like to have Julie on the show, because I am definitely a glass half empty person. <laughs> Julie, Julie's glass is always flowing over. Okay, it's so not only full, it's it's over on the table. Go ahead, Julie. Is, it's true. And what, what you're making me realize is um, where you sit in in the world and the people you're with, it's very nurturing. And day to day, 24-7, we are immersed, Joe and I, in the ugly stories and reacting and trying to change. And I think maybe sometimes we just forget, you know, we, we it's so helpful to talk to you and read your book just to be we all need to be energized and to remember there are so many good people doing this work. But I think sometimes it gets demoralizing when you're just really attuned day in day out to the horrors out there and the callousness and and mm -hmm. then and then I love uh, I love the idea of like for us to reach out to spiritual groups in our communities and forge relationships <clears throat> and like absolutely. I mean, you know, if if they're protecting local wildlife because the local wildlife is God's creation, or if they're doing it because they're religious naturalists or because there's a spirit that's inside those animals from their indigenous traditions. To my mind, it doesn't matter as long as we have the same um, goal, which is to help those animals to find um, peaceful and flourishing existence the religious naturalist orientation seems to well clearly is highly received well received by persons who have you know quote lost their faith who don't um and we know from the pew surveys that there are more and more such people coming um but i don't think the answer is to be not religious or to be spiritual but not religious i think that being religious i'm gonna go for the term it means getting together it means ligating it means um, ligament um it means sharing core understandings mm -hmm. and you distinguish between being religious if i'm correct in in my reading and being spiritualistic uh with religion having a shared mythos or story did i read you correct on that well almost i mean it's it's so i see religion as the umbrella the tent that's the name for uh, this particular orientation, one's life, one's religious orientation. And within that religious orientation, there are these three avenues, the interpretive, the spiritual, and the moral. And so they collaborate, they come together, they reinforce one another to generate an emergent uh, orientation, <laughs> which I'm calling a religious naturalist orientation. But it has spiritual within it. It's not an either or. It's not. I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. Um, if you're if you're spiritual only, I think you're missing out in your vocabulary in this whole other part. The biggest one always has been the moral part. I mean, the you know the religious histories of all cultures throughout the ages. You know, no matter what, there was this overwhelming idea of a philosopher friend of mine says educating the social emotions we come with these social emotions and how are they educated how do how do they uh orient one's 
uh, behavior with with others in the with the rest of the world. Yeah, okay. and our kids today they're so like isolated and not in nature and on their social media and and <laughs> we're we're just honoring a man here in Boulder Oak Thorn who uh, grew up on eighty acres and spent his childhood nature and built this beautiful environmental education center in Boulder and he does these bird banding programs. My daughter's in them and I just love him and and I just think of what he's accomplished is amazing and then i think of what we're struggling with to get our kids out in nature and away from their isolation and and that that's like a really important thing right i mean do you have any thoughts on that well, yeah get them out and push them outside i mean i mean obviously that's not possible if you live on the 45th floor in the tenement in the bronx okay so um let's go there are situations where that is challenging but um you know, you can learn a lot about nature from some plants that your mother has put on the window, from your pet dog, from, you know, and all schools, no matter what, have trips out into nature. And once, once, hopefully, the kid I have in mind, um, she goes to high school, there are field trips, there's science courses, you know, uh, it, it, it develops. And, and the fact that there are these kids that are trapped without nature, either by their social circumstances, their living circumstances, or by the fact that they're addicted to the their screens, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be a life sentence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it can be there. I mean, I have two grand, grandsons who live here next door, and, and they love their screens. But you know, the minute we get them outside, then then they're romping around like little rabbits. Yeah. 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 You have a, a great quote uh, from uh, Mr. Einstein in your book. And when I read it, it really resonated with me because I feel maybe he could be talking about me in some of this. The quote you provide is He who can no longer wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. And, and I think the journey of my own life has been so reductionist that I am missing that sense of wonder and awe you you talk about. And it's a struggle for me to get there because when I hear you talk about spirituality, my mind translates that into, and, and you're going to correct me, I'm sure, and, and I hope you will. Because when I hear that, I think of something that exists beyond the material world, right? Even beyond conscious thoughts, that there is some sort of so, not old so, man in the sky. But help you with the etymology I do in the book, spirit means essence means breath it yeah. uh it is a very natural uh you know gas <laughs> uh it's it's uh it suggests sort of the gasp that one feels when one is presented with awe and wonder be it a mountain or an ocean or a nursing um antelope but you know it's the same and I think that that's the origin of spiritual. Of course, people have, because it doesn't feel it doesn't feel material. That's the trick. It you know it feels like you if you said, oh, I'm having this experience and it's coming from the outside, whatever that means. Mm. Then you get into the whole part that you're having trouble with. But it doesn't have to. You don't have to use the word that way. Yeah. So I was driving through a, a subdivision the other day, Julie, I'll go to you in a second. I want you to weigh in on this. Uh, but uh, there were a couple of deer 
really close to the road where I wouldn't normally have expected to see deer. And it was mesmerizing. I was taken out of myself for a moment and just caught up in the fact that I was sharing this relatively confined bit of geography with them. Is that spiritual? Did I have a spiritual experience? Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Good. Good. <laughs> Julie, okay. there may be hope for me yet. So Julie. there was there awe, right? There was awe. There was reverence. You were revering these animals. There was gratitude that you had the experience that you could share life with them. There was joy. There was all sorts of inner stuff. Love. Let's go there for these animals. Uh, those are spiritual experiences, Joe. I'm sorry, you're not well, a curmudgeon anymore. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is therapy. <laughs> yeah. Normally, Ursula, we charge we charge five hundred dollars for people to come onto the show, but I'm going to waive the cost for you. There's no charge for I'm doing this. Charge, show for I'm going to charge you a thousand dollars for the therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> going back to this whole notion of of screen addiction. And all of that, uh, I, I don't think that's another good sign because I do think having the experience of being with, with animals and being able to impute to all animals the worthiness uh, of those which may be our favorite is key to the kind of uh, compassion that we, we want to see. There's a great book I read a long time ago called, about, called Lost Connections by Johan Hari. And it goes into how much of modern malaise, our depression, our anxiety, all of our health issues can, can really be tied, not directly to the absence or a low serotonin level, but just the fact that we've moved away from nature, from a sense of community, from being uh, in touch with, with others. And, and I think uh, that outside of zoos, I don't think you can get this at a zoo, but getting these kids out, with the animals so that they can have kind of the experience, you know, I did with those, with those deer is key. So uh, not so much a question as, as a pontification. So forgive me for that. <laughs> I want to tie, tie us back to the animals, um, uh, Ursula. You talk about four virtues in your book, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, compassion, fair-mindedness, reverence, and courage. Could you apply those to how our listeners can approach animals with them? I mean, I, I, I parse it out in the book into eco-compassion, eco-fairness. So that's, that's making it as large as it can be, because that includes plants, that includes mountains, that includes everything. Uh, if you just want to focus on animals, though, it's really easy, because uh, we're animals, uh, they're animals. Um, we have social animal instincts. We have symbolic language and science so we understand that we're very close cousins to all these beings and uh you know we're just one of millions of different species um we just showed up we have no there's no reason why we have to become the and should be uh the dominant cr creatures and uh things have to be fair Right. Julie, I'll, I'll turn, it, turn it to you for a final question. I just want to appreciate for a moment what everything Ursula said. And I think fair-mindedness fair to me, you know, is the key one, because that to me denudes exceptionalism of its more um, 
poisonous aspects. Uh, because when we, when I started to say that whatever that animal is, that animal is 100% of it, just like whatever I am, I am 100% of me. And whatever bothers me to the max, there's a, a corollary inside that animal where it is maximally afraid or, or hurt. And that just because we may not experience things the same way, we are experiencing the same things. So fair-mindedness among those virtues really, really stuck out. And yeah. courage too, right? We, 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 so many people I talk to, I get it. I'm never invited to a lot of dinner parties because I will in, invariably end up on, on discussions and I go too far, but just kind of indicating to people what really goes on with animals. And our followers, our listeners, our, our subscribers know, uh, you know, of many of them. But when you educate people, I think they're confronted with, with, with fear versus courage in some way, right? Because they know that if they hear it and if they nest that understanding within their own consciousness, they have to do something about it. So it's easier not to think about it than to confront the potential courageous action that may be needed to remedy the thing about which they're thinking. More, <laughs> more pontificating. Um, all right. Okay. Julie, uh, I'll go, go to you for a final question. My last question was, I would love to hear your Earth Day message. I just, Earth Day should be a day where you, you really are thinking about how lucky you are to be alive at all. No, yes. good, good point. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and um, on Earth Day, we are having what they bill, perhaps without hyperbole, uh, as the largest fireworks show on the planet. So on Earth Day, our city will be launching tons of explosives into the air, the terrifying, filling, <laughs> terrifying, terrifying animals, uh, you know, probably killing fish, uh, sending, sending, you know, gunpowder smoke. So if you so no, no, no good Earth Day in, in, in Louisville. But, you know, by golly, it's derby time. Okay, so well, you have to, no, have, you to need have, have the courage to form a committee to go to the mayor to present your case and to say that you think that Earth Day should be celebrated in other ways. Yeah. I'm going to bring I'm going to bring Julie down and <laughs> tie her to the barge from which they launch the fireworks and defy them to launch. Julie, I'll just Are I'll you see you Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you Saturday, Julie. We're going to tie you to the barge. So Sorry, I got planned. <laughs> plants all right well we've been talking to ursula good enough her book is the sacred depths of nature the second edition now out first launched in 1998 uh, i bet you had to revise a lot of the science uh since it first came out in 1998 it wasn't revising so much the the science that i picked in 1998 it turned out i had pretty good instincts as to what was going to last and what was going to go away some stuff went away and i fixed that but it was more that it deepened because during 25 years since I wrote the book, I've been talking to a lot of people, a lot more reading, a lot more uh, ways of thinking about how the world works that I had the privilege to put into language in my book. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's a fairly brief book. It's not long. But if you're interested in how the world works, this is a phenomenal book, not only in terms of cosmo cosmology, but biology and how it connects my daughter's a recent biology graduate from Bellarmine University. I'm going to give her this, this book. Um, and uh, I think she will find in it 
an enviable, concise representation of everything she learned over four years. So, so <laughs> there you go. I'm gonna. I wish I hadn't highlighted it now because I could have given it to her as a birthday present. Yeah, buy a new one. <laughs> buy get, a new one. I like it. I uh, get three dollars. <laughs> you get three dollars of, of every book. Uh, if people want to get the book, they can go to what Barnes and Noble, Amazon. I mean, it's everywhere, right? Uh, you can order it anywhere. Yep. <laughs> there's Julie. Julie. Julie will sure sell. You get the, there's the the first edition has a tur turtles on it too, but. It's blue. This one is orange. So get the orange. Thank you, Ursula. Thank you, Julie. I appreciate it. It's been a fun conversation <laughs> for sure. Uh, it absolutely has. And I want to thank you uh, to our listeners. Please do go to animalwellnessaction.org. Uh, sign up for our newsletters. We do a lot of great work right now. We just um, uh, have introduced the Fight Act to combat animal fighting. Huge bill. We have the Ad Soy Act that will bring relief to dairy cows and school children. That's very interesting. We're fighting horse slaughter. Uh, you know, I referenced the Kentucky Derby. Many of the horses that run on Derby Day will end up in Canada or Mexico slaughtered for food uh, to go overseas. So we are involved in a lot of stuff. We need your support. Even if you can't donate, we hope you can. Uh, you can follow our news and information, and we offer ample opportunities to send letters directly to your representatives, senators, the president, governors, uh, all easy peasy. You just hit a button and your voice will be heard, but only if you sign up for our material at animalwellnessaction.org. This podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and uh, by golly, we're sure, sure glad you listened to it today. So I've been your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.